This is Ash, and you're listening to the All Things Industry Podcast. It's a place where I talk about the events of the day, doing dentistry in the past couple of weeks or whatever the amount of time is, and some of the things that I learned, which is seems to be daily, to be honest. So this today is Friday, and it's the day before uh, the kind of a Christmas break for a lot of us. And a very interesting day today. We had uh, JP who we saw, Angela and I saw, and actually, actually I need to say Angela's got a, my kids a Christmas box, this huge box I couldn't even fit it in my minivan. It's huge. Full of candy, candy, uh, and my kids, uh, they're 12, 10, 8, and 5, 6 almost, and they all went crazy in this box of candy. It was very sweet and kind of uh, Angela, so we really appreciate that. Angela, you're the best. It's an honor to work with, uh, I mean, when you're the best dental assistant in the galaxy, it's an honor to work with her. She's absolutely incredible. So, enough about her. She's had her time in the light. We had JP who presented, he is actually my friend Ida's future son-in-law. And uh, he presented about three months ago with pain to his lower left molar first molar and uh, he kind of kept thinking it was going away but his girlfriend to be soon wife said you need to go in that you can't brush that away that pain is you got tooth pain and uh, sure enough it's a cracked tooth but you know the beauty of this situation is that it's unrestored it's absolutely crazy I mean JP's a young man he's probably I think he's 30 unrestored tooth number three six irreversible pulpitis crack in it and you can see um, from the during the endo you can see the crack and then we did an endo crown and then we cemented an endo crown today uh, so we've gone actually that's my next hopefully one of my next videos is kind of you know the end result of crack tooth where we go uh, at some point it becomes an extraction uh, crown sorry that's the next case the extraction uh, so it was really so we cemented a uh, we got a lithium disilicate endo crown and we saluted it down um, we didn't put a temporary on this, and I kind of wished I did because the interproximal contacts were, I mean, the tooth shifted. Obviously, the teeth shifted just a little bit, just enough in the last week. And it was only a week that he was with a, uh, without, a, without any type of contact, uh, and the teeth shifted to like a couple of microns. So I made adjusting this tooth just a little bit, uh, you know, the crown a little bit. But one of the things we did do is we dropped the... You could argue that you actually don't need, if you leave the contact in place, and I think that's you know up for discussion. If you leave the contact in place, you might you can just go without a temp. I decided to break the contact in this case. Uh, we saluted the crown down. It looks great, great shade. Um, I need to take a, what I would do again if when I do this again because it's a repeating story of cracked teeth with an aging population, and he's not that old would be take a stent before. I know we normally do that if you're gonna cut a crown, but I'd almost take a stent in the natural tooth structure because then I can send that to the lab and they'll wax it up according to the actual previous edition. And I think that's one of the things I've really learned because you know they're just kind of, they're waxing, uh, well, if they're not waxing, what they're doing is they're designing this electronically according to the way that the computer comes up with a design. So. And it's not always correct. And I actually would have preferred to have a little bit different design. Doesn't really make a difference at the end of the day. Not a hell of a lot at all. Uh, so we saluted that down. We 
etch the porcelain, the integral surface of the, of the crown, the endo crown. Silenated it, placed our Reliax Unisem. And again, another mistake that I totally forgot to do was to etch the enamel. So, selective etching of the enamel. I should have done that and I totally forgot. I was so excited to loot it down. Will it make a difference? Uh, it might actually because we're relying on heavily relying on endo and enamel bonding. Uh, so we looted it down, cleaned up the margins, and uh, he sat up and felt great. So off he went. And then, you know, I talked about this endo that we completed uh, two, three days ago. It's actually, it's kind of embarrassing, but it happens. Where we had a patient, her name's Kelly. She presented uh, a week ago. Just reading it. I'm actually just reading a text from this patient. I said, I'm assuming that the numbing has worn off because we extracted a tooth. Uh, no freezing should be out in about another hour. So far, it's all good. Thanks for checking out. So uh, what happened was with Kelly, she presented with extreme pain, enough to where she went in on a weekend for emergency call, and one of our young dentists uh, saw her and diagnosed tooth number 47, her second mandibular right molar as symptomatic irreversible pulpitis uh, and it's with symptomatic apocrinitis with a crack and he started the pulpectomy and the pulpectomy went great and then she saw she came in on Tuesday and we elected to finish the endo and the endo went perfect there was a crack from the distal marginal ridge down to about the top of the orifice on the distal canal but uh, I didn't even record the the endo. It was so pretty straightforward. But you know, everything went fine. But she, honestly, and she that tooth was out of occlusion. But honestly, she just did not. She wanted to deal with did not want to deal with that tooth anymore. It was extremely painful. She'd run her tongue over it. It's been so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So almost three days post op. Extreme pain. She's still taking Tylenol every day. Still even contacting it. And even when I did an exam, and I re-examined her this afternoon, um, we did all the, the first quadrant, all the teeth tested normal, like redid all the exams again, no probing depths, all normal. I was expecting a necrotic tooth somewhere there. Bottom right, totally normal, except for that tooth. And every time I even put my finger on it, she was in extreme pain. Uh, so. I honestly ruled out kind of referred pain from somewhere else and we elected to extract it <clears throat> just to, I mean it's the Christmas season so no one's gonna be around so and I'm working with Angela so she has a purpose perfect setup I feel super confident even if we it flips over to a surgical extraction we're good to go versus I've worked with many other dental assistants and they don't know what I need and I don't know you know it gets kind of gets a little bit complicated so essentially, Angela's set up for uh, an, end, an extraction, and that tooth literally, I mean, honestly, the patient could have taken it out herself. <laughs> like, we elevated a little bit, just to, what I'd like to do is just go nice and slow. And because, I mean, it's very, to me, it'd be, I have never had a tooth taken out awake. I've had my wisdom teeth taken out. So to me, this is the only procedure I haven't had done on me. Uh, so I'm assuming that there's another level of lock, loss of control. It's like you're taking a tooth out of my head. So there's a lot of pushing, there's a lot of noises, and when something breaks, like cracks, like a crown cracks off, that's that can be quite aggravating. 
So what I like to do is to build that confidence. I mean, I've done the endo on her before. The confidence building for me starts with anesthesia and actually just talking with them, trying to make them feel comfortable. Anesthesia is a huge confidence builder, I think, for if you're, you know, if you made it to this point in the podcast. To me, anesthesia, if you're going to build confidence in somebody, the only thing that they remember from a patient is not about your technical skill. It's just literally if you can talk to another human and if you don't cause them pain. Those are the only two things they care about. Look, he talked, that patient, the, that dentist was really nice. They talked to me, they made me, made me feel comfortable. And when they went to go do something, they didn't hurt me. Now, obviously that's not possible all the time, but it's that chair side manner being able to, even when you create pain or cause them pain, it's to be able to walk them through and make them feel that you care about them from your heart, not just in a skin level. So when we do these extractions, it was very interested to know because there's a lot of, you know, I read the endodontist, I read endo, like the teeth are not more brittle, but I'll tell you, if you've taken enough wisdom teeth or root canal teeth out, they break in a million pieces. And it, even if they're not cracked, they're brittle. They have to be, I mean, it's ridiculous. So this tooth had just been root canaled about a week ago. So I was kind of like, oh, let's see if it breaks in a bunch of pieces. And it's cracked too. So essentially we elevate it, we flip the papilla out between the six and the seven. I cut a little bit of a, uh, a distal, a distal buckle, um, kind of a buckle hockey stick, just with a 15 blade, just in case. So I elevated. I didn't want any type of gingival tissue holding this tooth up. Uh, we want to make it as easy as possible. So we started elevating, and honestly, it started elevating pretty easy, but not super easy, but easy enough. And then um, she started feeling some pain deep down in her bone. So we wanted to give her more anesthesia. So I gave her more of a uh, intraosseous, or sorry, a PDL, intraligamentary injection rather than intraosseous because we gave her three, I gave her three blocks. That's my normal endo extraction kind of gig. Gave her an infiltration, articane, uh, and then I actually gave her a PDL as well. And then when she started getting tooth moving, she started feeling more PDL, more pressure deep down in her mandible. So I gave her a little more PDL. And then, um, it's like, yeah, it looks like we got enough motion. I go to grab the forceps and literally the tooth fell out. I, I, I kid you not, it, I was I was moving it buccolingual and it literally pulled itself up. It was unbelievable. I could not believe how easy it was to take this tooth out. And uh, it wasn't, it weren't conical roots. I mean, they were a little bit conical shape, but I was expecting, especially for four, seven, a lot more fight. Kind of like when you're going fishing, you know, you gotta kind of like, let's say you have a dead fish on the line, it just rolls in reels in versus something that's alive and likes to fight. I don't do a lot of fishing. Uh, this tooth just kind of fell out, so I'm kind of like, okay, well maybe we did have a lot of loss of attachment due to a potentially crack. So we didn't get a lot of hemorrhage. We packed some collar plug and call it a day. So uh, Angela's exceptionally skilled at giving post-operative instructions, and I've listened to her do it once, and it's like, yeah, it's right on the money. So what we'll do is we'll follow her up, and I've, ex- I've explained to the patient that, you know, like, 99% positive, I'm sure that this is the tooth that's been bugging her, but there's a 1% chance it might not be. It might be something else. We've checked everything. Uh, but So we'll follow up with her tomorrow to see how it's going, and then uh, I'll let you know how it goes. So 
you know, do I normally extract the teeth that I've root canal? Uh, not normally this quick, maybe five years later or 10 years later. I don't even know if I've done one yet. Uh, but I think in this situation, and you can see from the photos, and that'll be the thumbnail, that there is a crack and you actually can see the loss of periodontal attachment surrounding the crack. But the question remains, you know I mean? Why would she have so much pain from this crack, even when there's no PDL support around the crack. It's very interesting, and I don't know if we'll ever understand it. Anyways, thank you so much for making it this point. I appreciate uh, your time, and have a great one. Cheers.